What's up, everybody? This is Kind of Funny Games Day for Friday, October 25th, 2019. I am one of your hosts, Imran Khan, and joining me today is Mr. 30 Under 30, Tim Geddes. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing fantastic. I can't stop crying, though, mm-hmm. which is a big problem the last couple days. But, like, I'm not going to stop watching the Star Wars Episode Nine trailer. Yes. So I don't know wh- who, where the problem lies. Is that the problem, or am I the problem? Eventually, your body's going to sort of run out of tears. Like You'd think that. You yeah. would think that, though. But C-3PO, man, he just gets <laughs> me. He gets me where it's good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's so fucking hot. It's very hot. You know, I want to give you a shout-out, though. Mm-hmm. A, a week of Games Daily hosting. Yes. You did it every day, all five days. All five days. Very few people have done that. <laughs> I guess, because I was thinking about it. I assume Greg has done that. Cause Someone has. Yeah. Stats. I'm sure at some point I did because mm-hmm. if Greg's gone, I pop in. Um, then maybe not five. I might have four. Might have been my max at yeah. some point. I don't think Andrea ever did. I think you might be the first besides Greg. It actually doesn't end because I'm also hosting Monday. There you go, six days <laughs> in a row, baby. Well, this is kind of funny. Games Daily. The, the each and every weekday at 10 a.m. live right here on twitch.tv slash kindoffunnygames, we run you through all the nerdy video game news that's fit to hear. Mm-hmm. If you're watching live, you can correct us when we get stuff wrong, impossible, by going to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. To be part of the show, head to patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames, where bronze members are above get to write in, and silver members are above get the show ad-free. If you don't want to watch live, you can watch later on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames, or listen later by searching for Kind of Funny Games Daily on podcast services around the globe. Today's stories include Ubisoft says Ghost Recon was a disaster. Uh-oh. Fallout First for that. is still flailing, and Stadia has started developing its own original games. A okay. little, little bit of housekeeping, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of housekeeping today, so <laughs> buckle up a little <laughs> Fun bit. Fun stuff, though. Extra Life, still Saturday, November 2nd. That's 24 hours of games in this incredibly hot studio. For charity, though. You can join us at kindoffunny.com slash Extra Life or watch on November 2nd. What's Good Games is having a meet and greet in West Fargo, North Dakota today, October 25th, at the Barcode Bar and Grill at 835 23rd Avenue East at 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. tonight. Christmas is coming early to Fargo because Joey Noel, Andrew Renee, <laughs> and Brittany are going to be there. You can check What's Good Games Twitter at, at What's Good underscore games Very for exciting. all the details. They're also doing their own extra life on Saturday, October 26th. That's tomorrow. Starting at 12 p.m. Central, it benefits the Stanford Children's Hospital. It has prizes like video games, gaming headsets, and more. You can watch that at twitch.tv slash what's good games, youtube.com slash what's good games, or be there in person at eGame Central in Fargo, North Dakota. All I, that money goes to Team Kind of Funny as well. Oh, yeah. So this is, a, this is an early start to yeah. next week's shenanigans. Giving them money gives us money. Mm hmm. By charity the kids money, money, too. Yeah. So not us kids, other real now, kids who need things. Now, Imran, I'm very excited about this next one because mm-hmm. th- this is your, your former crew. Yes. The, the former informers, all the, of them. All of the former informers. Well, not all of them. Some of them, most of them are in there. But last or yesterday, Ben Hansen from Game Informer revealed that he is leaving the outlet after nine years. Ben is one of the most professional people I've ever worked with and also one of the best people I've ever worked with. He is starting his own Patreon called MinMax, M-I-N-N, M-A-X, you can find it at patreon.com slash minmax. It is Minnesota video game stuff. And it is going to be Ben Hansen, Suriel Vasquez, uh, sorry, I'm, I always pronounce that, Suriel Vasquez, or no, maybe it is Vasquez, I'm, Suriel, I'm so sorry, <laughs> uh, Kyle Hilliard, uh, and Jeff Marchiafava. They are 
we're doing a basically the Game Informer show, super replays, all that kind of th- stuff there. Ben, I asked, texted him last night, hey, is there anything specifically you want me to mention? He wants me to reveal that they are doing an Outer Worlds game club as their first thing. So if you want to go participate in that with them, you can go to patreon.com slash minmax, sign up at, like I believe it's the $5 level, and you can participate in their game club with them. I believe they got their first podcast or episode zero out today. They're fantastic people. It's so gaming content you definitely want from those guys. So I just want to shout them out and definitely encourage everyone to go that direction. Jump on it. They're awesome guys. Right now they're at over 900 Patreon subscribers, over $5,000, which is fantastic. More than I'm sure they ever expected they were going to get. Um, But I love that because this initial boost is the most important part of the Patreon reign. So for all you guys out there, if you have the dollar, if you have whatever it is, every dollar counts. We always talk about that. The early days matter the most. So get them over 1,000 patrons. That'll make me really happy. And if you don't have the money, just like signal boost, do find those retweets. Like tell people about it. Maybe you don't have the money, but someone else might. Mm-hmm. We're oh, also yeah. brought to our by our Patreon producers by Blackjack and Mohammed Mohammed. We're also brought to you by Third Law Love and Upstart. But Tim will tell you about that mm-hmm. later. For now, let's That's begin what with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. It's time for some news. We got four stories today. Oh, Baker's Dozen! So, Tim, we talked a little earlier in the week about Bethesda announcing Fallout First, a mm-hmm. subscription service mm-hmm. for Fallout 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been kind of a shit show so far. Yeah. Bethesda clarifies Fallout 76's server issues, acknowledges the players are losing items. This is from GameSpot by Jordan Remy. Bethesda has released a statement in regards to some of the more prominent issues in Fallout First, the new subscription-based content for Fallout 76. Speaking to GameStop, GameSpot, Bethesda addressed the reported issues individually. In regards to the disappearing scrap issue, wherein people would put things in the, you know, the trunks they're paying for, and they just disappear. It would be a void where they basically throw it away. A small number of players with a large quantity of scrap are experiencing a display issue, causing their scrap box to appear empty. At this time, we believe this is a user interface issue that players have not actually lost any scrap. At this time. At this time. <laughs> players should still be able to access the scrap for cr- from crafting their workbenches. We are actively working to address this issue, both internally and using the data and characters folks from the community have provided us. Players have also expressed concern that their private servers have, private servers have apparently already been looted, but that's to clarify that this is most likely not an issue. Instead, private worlds behave like Fallout 76's public worlds do. When a Fallout first member starts a private world, a dedicated world is launched on an AWS server, Bethesda said. Players who have seen looted containers upon login may be experiencing the expected behavior upon log out and log in. Loot is instanced for each player in containers. As Fallout 76 players know, if you loot a container on one server, then log out and log back into another server, the container remains in a looted state for a period of time. Finally, Bethesda admits that allowing friends to join private worlds without gaining permission from the host player is not ideal and should be changed. Currently, players on your friends list can join your private world without an invitation. Bethesda said, We understand this is not what players expected for their private worlds. It's called private worlds. And we are looking to provide an option in an upcoming patch. We will allow Fallout First members to restrict access to their servers more completely, preventing friends from joining without permission. So yesterday on Gamescast, I think we... We term Fallout 76 a clownable game. Mm-hmm. It is a game that people enjoy clowning on to some extent, but Bethesda makes it so easy. They really, they really, really do. Now, 
to try to find the positive in this. Mm -hmm. Greg and I always talk about these companies and them needing to be more transparent about where they're at and dealing with issues. I appreciate them addressing this and being like, hey, no, that's not how that's supposed to work. Those, that really bad thing isn't actually happening. We're working on it. Mm -hmm. And all the other stuff is, seems like it's easily fixed. They're going to do, fix it, right? right? Having said that, this hot <laughs> off the heels of a lot of really dumb things and this all being in response to a really dumb thing yeah. at the worst time possible. It just it's doesn't a PR look nightmare. good for It's a PR nightmare. Yeah. And it goes back to what I, this entire week's had a theme and it's been Fallout 76 um, and disasters in PR, right? Yeah. Whether it's Activision or them or Anthem or whoever. And uh, something I keep bringing up is that once one of these things happens, there's so much more scrutiny and everything's being looked at and discussed in a way that it wouldn't necessarily make this show if this was happening just yeah. on a random ass Tuesday in a couple months, right? Um, but because of all the other stuff going on in the context, here we are talking about it for the upteenth time, right? I mean, it's uh, interesting because like they sh they announced it and launched it that same like minute, yeah. Of like, here's the blog post; you can buy it now on PSN or whatever. Yeah. Why Why would they not announce it and let people are like, hey, what do you expect from this? Let's make the tunings that necessary for it. Yeah. I don't know why, like, maybe they just wanted a shock and awe kind of marketing strategy of, hey, this is the thing some of you have been asking for in the main game, and we're giving it to you now, buy now. Yeah, I mean, that's the way you market things, though, right? Yeah. Like, you need the call to action. So, again, I'm kind of just playing devil's advocate here, just because, like, of trying to make sense of it. Because, honestly, I find it very difficult to make sense of why Fallout 76 would think it's okay to launch a subscription service. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, but... It obviously makes sense to Bethesda when they look at their their the dollars that they are right looking at. I don't know. I saw a theory yesterday that Bethesda is looking to go public sometime soon, and what they're trying to do right now is trying to maximize their revenue streams. So when they do go public, their stock price looks a lot better than if like they just they just launched a couple of packaged games and Fallout was making money, but not that much money. I mean, I've heard rumors behind the scenes of Bethesda getting bought out multiple times over the last couple of years mm -hmm. by some pretty big companies. And I've never fully believed it, but I also was never like, that's impossible. Right. So you're right. that This is something that companies do when they are looking to get acquired. Um, is that the best decision? <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily think so, mm -hmm. um, especially not right now. It's just like there's so much shit happening at once that right. this could be so much better served. If they had just taken a little more time to make sure that this launch was flawless and after the promised expansion and not delaying that mm -hmm. when it feels like it's in space for this. Yeah. Like the, the private servers thing is what like that weirds me out because that seems like it was a conscious decision that they then realized was bad. That, oh, it makes sense that anybody in your friends list can just join because that's how multiplayer games work for the most part. Like if I'm playing Borderlands, someone can just. Click my click right thing and go into my game. Mm -hmm. Like that's I understand that there, but it's a cooperative world and it makes sense. You only want certain people with you. You don't want your entire friends list to be able to come in and just do whatever. Or since it's a, like only eight people max, you don't want Johnny that nobody likes yeah. coming in Fucking hate Johnny, and, and taking the spot of the guy who does like yeah. everyone does like. It's really nice of you to use the name Johnny and not some other names I might be thinking of. <laughs> I was. I was thinking of some names. I was like rolling down, like who do I not want to insult here? Yeah. But little Johnny is the yeah, the yeah, after yeah. school special name. Uh huh. I love it. 
But yeah, I a lot of this is good of them saying, hey, we realize it's an issue. This might just be a glitch. We're going to fix it. Some of it's like, hey, we realize it's an issue. We were pretty dumb about doing this in the first place. But I'm, I am curious, again, how the people who bought in feel about it. Of, and we still haven't heard anything. Yeah, we, like, we put the call out. When we put the call out, we got a couple of people in here wrong saying, hey, I, I'm really into Fallout 76. I would consider this maybe, but not for $100 a year. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, obviously, some people bought it because some people see the flaws. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of, like, what? I was watching an old Simpsons episode yesterday, uh-huh. uh, the Super Bowl episode, where at the end of it, John Madden says, what a way to treat the fans who have been with this franchise for so long. Which is that Simpsons writers getting mad about internet comments p- coming up about the quality of the show and all that. But it made me think about this of, I can't believe that the most loyal people, the people who paid to get into this thing, or the people who were like, hey, this sucks. Yeah, it's always going to be that way though, right? Like uh, recently, I forgot who it was, but somebody tweeted, some wrestler tweeted out, uh, the the people that hate pro wrestling the most are pro wrestling fans. <laughs> and uh-huh. it's just like that. It's so true. But I feel like that's true for anything, right? right. Like the people, true for Zelda, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you care about the littlest, smallest thing when you care. Right. Uh, and no one else does. And especially when you're paying, you kind of feel a level of ownership over it, even if you don't own the decision making behind it all. Right. But... Yeah, Fallout 76, man. It's going to be interesting having Greg come back because Greg is the only person I know that likes Fallout 76. <laughs> um, and then he always references Grimecraft. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't know what that says about the company that you keep, Greg. <laughs> they, uh, okay, so I did get one question from Nanobiologist. Hey, you're not wearing the jacket. Uh, I can't find the jacket. And it's also super fucking hot. It is super fucking hot. I went to the back and the jacket just wasn't there. So uh, if you want to, I... I'm not again. I would not welcome heat stroke, but if you find it, I put it on. If you if you know where it is, <laughs> he'll like, dabble. Uh, and also, uh, nanobiologist also corrects us saying the story is a little bit wrong. It's not just scrap that's disappearing. It's actually all items are missing. So if you're using that trunk storage, good luck. Great. Google has set up its first Stadia game studio in Montreal. This is from Gamasutra by Alyssa McAloon. Google has picked up Mon- or has picked Montreal as the home of its inaugural first-party stadium game development studio. The plan for the Stadia Games Entertainment branch was announced a while back when longtime industry vet Jade Raymond signed on as its head. This Montreal studio is set to be the first manifestation of Google's internal Stadia game development efforts. The blog post detailing the new office explains that the Stadia Games Entertainment team aims to create new, unique game experiences for Google's upcoming cloud-based platform. Stadia Games Entertainment Studio will produce exclusive original content across a diverse portfolio of games in all your favorite genres, explains Raymond in a blog post. Stadia is designed to be one destination for all the ways players can, all the ways people play games. And Montreal is where we're going to start building them. Montreal's been popping off the last couple of years, man. Yeah. Like, I'm well aware of it because of Jen mm-hmm. uh, Miller. Um, and uh, it's crazy every time we go to GDC the last couple of years when we go to the Nintendo uh, Nindies event or whatever they call it yeah. these days, um, you're in a room with like 15 kiosks and I would say nine of them are from Montreal. Yeah, there's like a developers. straight up just like, here's a Montreal section. Yeah. Like there was a time where I went there and I was just kind of hanging out eating lunch and one of the do- like, people manning that section to- came to talk to me and he was showing me off these games and I later had a meeting with another publisher they're like, hey, we're going to show you this thing. We can't talk about it yet. 
Like you like this is under embargo. And I was like, oh, the Montreal guy already showed me this game. Like they were Montreal, super proud of it. Can't trust him. <laughs> can't fucking trust him, man. Yeah, but I, it's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, they're going to do it in Montreal because Jade Raymond, like, she prefers to stay in Canada, I would guess. Cause, yeah, yeah, that's where all her gaming jobs have been so far. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they're making because in the blog post itself. She does mention that they're making new kinds of games that are only possible on Stadia. Does that mean they're really busting up the budget that they're going to make their own Red Dead Redemption 2? Like, one of their big callouts was, for, like, for Ghost Recon Breakpoint, you can see the, what your, everyone else is doing because everything's just a video stream. So you can see what all your partners are doing in the game with, like, a picture-in-picture kind of thing. Are they going to build a game around that kind of tech? Or are they just being, like... Are they doing what every new studio says? Yeah. Of, We're revolutionizing the game, and then they make a normal game. Yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be the goal, number one, but the reality, number two, uh, which I feel like is the case with most of those mm-hmm. uh, situations. The difference is this is new tech. This is unproven tech. It's right. also Google with Google money, and they want to make this work. I, If there's been another theme of us on this show the last couple of days – talking about Stadia and Mm -hmm. cloud gaming and will it work, will it not work, it's been a big thing. And I feel like so many of the doubters of it uh, compare Google Stadia to um, Google Plus or some of the other failed Google uh, properties. And I I think that that is a little rash and honestly kind of uncalled for. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like it's so apples to oranges and I think Stadia is getting a different type of push that and it's such a different type of product where there's money behind it. Yeah. That I they think made a pretty big investment into Stadia. Yeah. Well, the, b- but money on both sides where there's money going in and money coming out. Right. Where it's like they are investing in it, but it's also a product people are going to pay for. Whereas Google Plus, it was advertisement, right? Mm-hmm. Or it was the eventual goal of people subscribing to the Google, I forgot what it's called, but uh, Google the Google Cloud where you can like upload your pictures and all that shit. Right. But guess what? Phones and everything have pushed that technology so far that people are still doing that, but it's not for Google+. Plus; It's just for their own Mm -hmm. Google photo library, right? I mean, in that sense, I find their rollout even more confusing because the problem with, let's say, Google+, Plus was, okay, well, we need to peel off users from Facebook to get this thing rolling, to get, like, advertisements and all that stuff just posted here. Google Stadia is saying it's not... They're not marketing it as we're revolutionizing the game. We're saying... If you already own a console, we have those same games. We just have a different way of playing them. Mm-hmm. So their rollout is trying to peel off people who already own these games, but want a or not or I guess people who want to play those games. People who are gamers, they're trying to get them involved in this thing, but they're not doing a good marketing rollout of telling them why they should be. Yeah, and that's that is the ultimate the problem with Stadia and why I I don't agree that they are going to pull out. But I don't think the people who say they are are necessarily wrong to think that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, we'll see. And I I don't think that they're going to succeed. I don't think that Google Stadia is going to change the game and be the definitive gaming console at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't even think this is going to be a, like an Xbox situation where they this is their first try and it's not till the 360 or whatever the next Stadia system is or if that even would be a thing. Right. Um, that they, they come out swinging like harder and are, are the big dogs. But I do think it's the necessary step towards getting more established guys like Microsoft and Sony mm-hmm. to 
come up with their versions of the the cloud stuff and see see where that all falls. But to me, the the thing that's the most exciting about like the 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 tantalizing thing to current gamers is the idea of it's you don't need the system it's all in the cloud and it's super high tech mm-hmm. high end computers that you're playing on we always give shit to PCs because you have to deal with the drivers you have to deal with, if someone else is dealing with that stuff maybe Greg Miller will want to play that because he does have a nice TV mm-hmm. and he will be able to take advantage of all that tech yeah if it all works maybe it'll be simple enough for baby Greg all, yes exactly but yeah. all this ends with if it all works but if it all works isn't it going to be pretty freaking dope Ideally, yeah. It just, again, their business model is wrong. They should have reconsidered that from the beginning. I understand why they're doing it, but it's not the right way to introduce this technology. But you mentioned the super high-end computers. And that was when their pitches at GDC earlier mm-hmm. this year was, hey, we've got uh, stuff that puts modern PCs and consoles to shame. Not even next-generation consoles are going to touch this. If they're making a game internally, and like... Do you, they're making a game in Montreal with a studio that is presumably made of like veterans and talent and has a lot of money behind it. Yeah. What, doesn't it make sense to make the thing that blows everyone away? Mm-hmm. Doesn't it make sense to make a game that like this makes God of War look like shit? I mean, so I feel like that's that's difficult. Yes, but it's about timing. Mm-hmm. When do you do that? Because I don't know if that's the thing that changes everyone's mind early on or if that's the thing that's kind of the final knockout punch a year or two down the line right where people already kind of have this thing and are used to it right Mm -hmm. i feel like the ideal situation would be you need that killer app out the gate like have your halo one have a breath of the wild have your breath of the wild have your mario 64 have that thing that makes everyone go fuck Mm -hmm. i don't have this thing i've been hating on it I need to try it though, you know, and especially when the uh, entry point is so freaking low for this. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're asking a bazillion dollars. It's right. dollars a month, you know, to be able to to try this out if you want it. And I guarantee there's going to be free trials like left and right. Yeah. If you, if you just open your eyes, it's Google. They always do this. Yeah. They would be dumb to not monetize like, hey, you have YouTube plus or you have Google music. Why not try Stadia for a little while? Yeah. Like, that would make sense. I disagree with you about the timing. I don't think launch is the time for it. I think next year, winter, is the time for it. Yeah. When the big the new consoles come out, mm-hmm. they're not going to have great games. Let's be honest. Like, no, no recent launch has ever had a killer app except for, like, no recent non-Nintendo launch, I should say. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, like, that timing of... Because it happened with the Wii U to some extent, too, of, like, that was the winter 3D World came out and the PS4 and the Xbox One didn't really have much. Mm-hmm. And people were like... Hey, actually, the Wii U is a better buy. It didn't matter, really. But Wii U is a better buy because it has some better games right now. Mm-hmm. I think if the Stadia had a really great game on that cost nothing to get into, the, co- the cost of the game and maybe like the couple of bucks a month you're spending to play it, that would have been the time. But they're founding the studio now. Mm-hmm. They f- should have founded the studio a year and a half Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the that's the bigger issue I think with Stadia as a whole mm-hmm. of the idea of them making their own games. I don't think we're going to see anything of consequence ever. Honestly, yeah. I don't I don't think we're ever going to see the Google Killer app. Right, and like remember when Amazon made their own game studio? We're like, holy hell, Amazon has so much money; they could make the most amazing AAA games. And they made a bunch of canceled games that nobody really talks about in like multiplayer stuff and like an MMO that I'm not even sure has ever come out. I played it once and I wrote a preview and I don't even remember the name of it. But they 
kind of dipped their toe into gaming and were like, it's fine. How far is Google willing to go with their own game development? Are they willing to do like a, a loss leader kind of thing like Sony's willing to do with, hey, we're going to throw millions and millions of dollars behind Spider-Man because we want that game to define the generation? Or are they just going to go like, hey, here's a MOBA? I don't know, man. I, I think they have the right people over there mm-hmm. um, that, that really care about video games. And I, I think that that's another reason that I think the comparisons to Google Plus just aren't apt. These guys want to make, and, and gals, want to make Google Stadia a video game console, a video game experience that's not just another place you can play video games. They want it to be special and, and cool. And that drive and vision combined with money could equal something really cool. However, there's so much in the way of that. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of it's going to have to do with their first six months. Mm-hmm. This thing's going to launch. It's going to have a shit ton of issues. Duh. Yeah. There's no way around that. I don't think it's possible for this thing to launch without issues. Can they turn that around? Can they address the problems quickly and briskly to be able to show the people, like, hey, look, that's the power of this thing is when there's problems, we can tweak stuff. Yeah. You don't need to send a console in for a repair. Yeah. And that, I think, would be a very powerful message. Then we need to see a lot of the third-party titles run just as good, if not better, on Stadia compared to the mm-hmm. other systems, right? Build, 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 and then they can start getting their bigger exclusive stuff. Yeah. But until then, I think it's going to be m- much more niche exclusives, like we saw uh, at their, the Connect that they did, mm-hmm. um, where they showed off. They were bringing back some franchise. Might and Magic, Heroes of something. Boy, I have no, I do not remember at all. Some I, franchise people really care about. Uh, then I I don't care at all. Yeah, at I remember. All I know but. they're making. Are, they have an exclusive from the people who made Little Nightmares. Mm-hmm. But that's all I can remember off the top of my head. It's what started the the connect. You're wrong. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let us know. Uh, there was a like you mentioned. The first six months are going to have problems. I think they're really hurt by the fact that Doom got delayed. Mm-hmm. Like that, if would have been the yeah, show off. Game. If Doom worked, it would be like okay. Actually, this game is this is no different on your Stadia platform versus everywhere else. Yeah, they were also hurt by Ghost Recon Breakpoint because that was one of their like major games. Like, hey, you can do all these things with this game you can't do on consoles. That game turned out to not be that great. It turned out to not sell that well. And Easy Mo is happy to tell you why. Segway. Ubisoft admits Ghost Recon Breakpoint has been a disaster. This is from Kotaku by Joshua Joshua Rivera. During an earnings call Thursday, Ubisoft gave investors a brutally frank appraisal of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, its latest release, and vowed to implement significant changes to our production processes to fix the game. In a prepared statement you can read online, Ubisoft CEO Yves Guimot laid out the reasons the publisher believes the open-world special ops shooter didn't sell as well as expected. The new game, released just two and a half years after Ghost Recon Wildlands, moves the series' action to a fictional island and introduces survival elements and loot grind that stick with many critics, including our own. As an unnecessary lightweight, uh, lightweight limitation, or imitation of systems in other games, including Ubisoft's own Division series. Guimot noticed that noted that changes Breakpoint made to the Ghost Recon formula have been strongly rejected by a significant portion of the community. Guimau also noted that the game's negative critical reception. Compounding that, somewhat paradoxically, is that he said Breakpoint wasn't different enough to really stand out. Guimau cites Breakpoint's underperformance and the Division 2's less severe but still disappointing performance as a primary reason for the company's just-announced delays of some of its most high-profile upcoming games. 
In response to investor concern over live service game fatigue and monetization, Ubisoft asserted that it is not interested in pay-to-win microtransactions. Instead, we'll continue to focus on in-game events. As, re- as recently as Breakpoint, however, Ubisoft has dabbled with microtransactions that do, in fact, have gameplay impact. All told, this is... It looks like we can expect some changes to come to Ubisoft's stable of live games eventually. The stated goals here being more time between new installments with bigger, more dramatic differences between them. Next year and early 2021 will show just what Ubisoft can do to improve Breakpoint as post-release development continues on alongside the release of five planned big-budget games by April 1st, 2021. The just-delayed Watch Dogs Legion, God and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine, along with two unannounced games, one of which is presumably the next Assassin's Creed. So, I, we talked about this, Fran and I talked about this a little bit when the news was fresh. The call was still going on mm-hmm. when the, we were doing Kind of Funny Games Daily yesterday. I, between Games Daily and uh, Gamescast... I went to the mall, I was connected to Wi-Fi, and I listened to the actual call because I'm a crazy person. Uh-huh. And I listened, like, it was brutal. Like, y- this sounds bad of, like, Izgimo admitting fault. The investors were so fucking pissed at him. Really? Yes. Like, how, why? Shit. So, keep in mind <laughs> two things you need to know. That Division 2, or Division 1 and Ghost Recon Wildlands were two of the best-selling games for Ubisoft, period. Like, those games were stock drivers on their own. So, Breakpoint and Division 2 not selling as well, in like, to the extent they're calling them disasters, is a huge problem for investors and for Ubisoft to go like, oh shit, the things we thought were going to carry us to next year aren't doing so, and so we need to delay a bunch of stuff just so we don't make that kind of mistake again. But they were literally, like, one of the investor questions to him during the Q&A was, what do you think you're doing? And they didn't have a good answer. So, so like to be fair it's a pretty <laughs> shitty question yeah, it is <laughs> but like these are people like they make their money off ubisoft doing well and mm-hmm. ubisoft is not doing well right now man so the issue of delays we'll talk about that a little bit first because right now ubisoft's kind of got their they say we've got these three games we're delaying them for quality reasons that's fine the other stuff like, we haven't seen Beyond Good and Evil since before last E3. Mm-hmm. That was, like, a very short thing. They haven't really, like, made a big thing about its presence for a while. They just keep randomly doing, like, weird 30-minute yeah. live streams showing off monkeys. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, we've got the monkey flying now. Yeah. It's like, okay, what, what's the rest of the game? Like, explain that Jade trailer for me. Yeah. Tell me why I should be interested in, interested in this game as a Beyond Good and Evil fan. Mm-hmm. I assume that's probably one of the AAA games they're talking about. Do you? I you would, think that's a game that's coming out before April first, twenty twenty one? I would guess so. Wow. Because when was it was announced? Uh, not this E three, not last E three, the E three before that. So it would have been twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. So they've been working on that game for at least two years by this point. They by twenty twenty one, it'll be have been five years ish. Yeah. Like who know? Like I, I wonder if. If that game is coming out, it's probably coming out around then. Hmm. I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure it's actually still coming and, out. Yeah, that's the weird thing is that it's a weird. It's one of the unicorn games, and when you look at the, the games industry in the last ten years, it's like there are certain games that get brought up constantly, and it's mm-hmm. when you look at them, it's like let's go back to kind of funny games cast like five years ago, mm-hmm. and it's like what were the games that we're talking about about the ones that are happening. Kingdom Hearts 3, it's out. 
Death Stranding. It's coming out mm-hmm. in weeks, right? Right. Uh, Final Fantasy 15. It's out. Final Fantasy VII Remake has a release date of next year that we believe in. Yeah. Right? And granted, a lot of those are Square games. Most of them are Square <laughs> games. Um, but those are kind of... Avengers uh, is has a release date, again, that we believe in. Like, right. A lot of these are the big games that people are like, when are they coming? And I feel like Beyond Good and Evil is one of those as well. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely... Shenmue is another one. Shenmue 3. Um, but Beyond Good and Evil is one that I'm like, I don't know that it'll ever actually be a video game. Do you think the lack of like questioning and fervor around Beyond Good and Evil 2 is because they haven't given Beyond Good and Evil 1 fans like a hook for it yet? Like Shenmue 3 as an example is, hey, we're going to f- like continue Rio's story, this epic thing we were going to do for so long. Death Stranding is, hey, this is from Kojima, this is from the people you like love that made Metal Gear and all those games. Final Fantasy 7 remake, you've played Final Fantasy 7, like here's the the scenes like we're going to talk about it. All those sort of things. I disagree with uh, the original premise, though, that Beyond Good and Evil 2 doesn't have a fervor behind it. I I feel like it has way more than I'd ever expect a Beyond Good and Evil sequel to have. Mm -hmm. I think that it's the magic combination of Beyond Good and Evil being a cult classic, amazing game, right? Combined with uh, it having a sequel that was announced and then canceled without really being officially canceled, but there was the original trailer in, what, 2008 or something that was seen? Was that CG trailer you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, the one of Jade. There were two. So there was like a gameplay gameplay prototype of uh, Jade running through a city, and like it was a very Assassin's Creed-style thing. There was one of her in a desert with Paige. Yes. Yeah, that I want to say was like 2008, 2009. It was around then. Yeah. But I feel like that being canceled, it's like there was so much talk about it that I think that Beyond Good and Evil 2 has a kind of uh, status associated with it where it's like the real gamers know. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you're cool if you, if you know Well, I mean, like that's game. the thing of that time and place was, hey, Zelda, because that was when Zelda wasn't doing great critically. And they're like, hey, if Zelda's not doing it for you, here's all these Zelda-like games mm-hmm. that real gamers know about because you're, you're willing to go outside the name recognition. So, like, let's try this Okami. Let's try this Dark Cloud 2. Yeah. Let's try this, you know, uh, Beyond Good and Evil. And th- that's why they earn some degree of cult classic status. I feel like when I saw those first two trailers, though, like for Beyond Good and Evil 2, like with the monkey escaping mm-hmm. and the crashing the spaceship and seeing Jade... My initial thought wasn't, I need to play Beyond Good and Evil 2, is I would really like to watch a movie of this thing. And that's a big problem, I think, with a lot of these games uh, that we were talking about here, where it's like, this does look like a dope movie. Also, <laughs> though, I, when I saw that, I'm like, this looks freaking gorgeous. Like, this looks interesting and cool. This world seems dope. I am in. It doesn't seem like Beyond Good and Evil, though. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this Beyond Good and Evil 2? This should just be a new IP. And then when we saw the new trailer for it. With uh, Jade. The, with Jade, it's yeah. like, all right, but does that make sense? It's a prequel. But yeah. What? Like, I need an explanation for why you yeah. you think this makes sense. Yeah. And to some extent, I'd be like, I this is fine. I don't think I want to wait Michelle Ansel's five six years working on this mm-hmm. when you could have just given me a new Rayman. Like, yeah. In that no, time. That's true. But going back to the delays, like I I feel like a lot of it is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you actually listened to the call, but. Uh, I feel like it's less them delaying for quality and more delaying for maximizing sales because they're looking at, like, oh, shit, these games that we're putting out, 
just aren't selling well. Right. Like they're they're calling out Ghost Recon as like, all right, it's critically not doing great. But like people love Division Two critically. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure Ubi's standing behind Division Two, and they're probably like, oh, what the fuck? Why is yeah. it not doing how? And I we think want? by like disappointing sales, they mean it didn't sell as well as Division One, which is a major major success. Yeah. So the game probably did fine. It just as consoles start winding down. Game sales sometimes do too, especially the sequels. Yeah. And like that was one of the investor questions was, why do you guys do this every console cycle? Mm. Like every time it starts winding down, it starts, you have to hit the reset button again next generation. And they also have a good answer for it. Yeah. But I feel like it's a smart call from Ubisoft, especially looking at the landscape of where video games as a whole are at. And with the amount of delays that we've seen in the last couple months, um, and with the amount of not just delays, but release dates announced, spring and summer next year are about to be ridiculously stacked. Right. And slowly some of those games are being pushed. But now all of a sudden, the early part of 20, 2020 is looking a little empty. Mm-hmm. But like March to May? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Holy shit. Yeah. Like we're, some of our fall games are even getting pushed into there, right? Like mm-hmm. with, with Doom. Like that's about to be... Quite possibly the most stacked three months of video game releases of all time. Right. And then what? I feel like Ubisoft's looking at that like, all right, cool. We should push these games. What about August? <laughs> August on. That could be a nice spot for us to pick. But you like, know? also, that's an incredibly dangerous time because putting it right before new consoles launch True. is a difficult time to like. They've done this before, and what they do is they try to make a cross-generation... And, and Ubi are good at that. Yeah. Like, they're good at taking advantage They were of actually the best at it, because, like, remember Assassin's Creed Black 4? Black flag, yeah. Like, like the, you put a PS3 disc in the PS4, it's like, hey, do you just want to buy the PS4 version for 10 bucks? Yeah, it's smart, and they know what they're doing there, especially with, when the game came out, like, two weeks before yeah. <laughs> the other one. But um, they, they are nimble enough that they can get... Not necessarily ports, but versions of the game on next-gen and current-gen mm-hmm. hardware, right? And doing that allows them to essentially own the launch discussion. Yeah. Like like you said earlier, like we don't normally see these days killer app launch titles, like first-party titles, unless you're Nintendo. And even that's – Switch is kind of like a, a rarity there. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at PlayStation and, – and this next-gen, I almost kind of feel like it's going to be different. Like I think that both Xbox and – PlayStation are going to come out swinging in a way that we haven't seen before. And Microsoft already announced the Halo title for the next one. And that's the Halo yeah. Infinite being a launch title. Like, that is big dick swinging. Like, yeah. you, you don't get bigger than that on the Xbox side. Um, and then PlayStation, like, I'll kind of admit defeat here where I would have sworn that Death Stranding or Last of Us were going to be cross on, uh, on both PS4 and launching on PS5. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima, it's still not too late for that. I also don't think that that's the type of game that's going to, like... Yeah. Knack 3. Yeah, Knack 3, baby, <laughs> let's go. Um, but, but yeah, you see what I'm saying? Where it's like, I feel like with, with PS4 launching, Assassin's Creed was the killer app. Mm-hmm. I expect it'll be a killer app this year. Like, I, the rumor I had heard was that they were looking to launch or reveal the new Assassin's Creed around February. And February is such a weird time, it makes me think, like, oh, PlayStation reveal. Totally. Which, Interesting. Which, again, maybe this all changes those plans, too. Yeah. Maybe if you push Watch Dogs and all that further into the year, does it make sense to have a new Assassin's Creed four months down the line? It's exciting times, man. It's exciting. Like, I, I don't want us, anyone to misconstrue what we're talking about as negativity, because it's all very fascinating, and I love listening to all this stuff happening. Yeah. 
I mean, Yubi, again, it, it sucks to hear this because, like, we always talk about the like, good guy Yubi, man. Like, I feel like this generation, they've made the... There was a straight up banshee outside our the, studio right now. That was now. some real peeling out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like Yubi's made the most right calls for a third party developer publisher yeah. um, that we've seen, especially talking so much about EA and Bethesda, what they're doing. It's like Yubi's made so many right decisions, and it does suck to see some of them not paying off. Um, I mean, they're definitely the third party that's grown the most since the PS2 generation. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Utterly crazy. But. We'll see where it all goes. A disaster aside, Microsoft has paid indie devs over $1 billion a generation. This is from GameStop by Richard Wakeling. Since ID at Xbox launched in 2014, Microsoft has become a hub for indie games, with developers able to register and self-publish their indie titles across both Windows, PC, and Xbox One. Promoting indie developers has been a core value at Xbox for a number of years now, most notably during the company's annual E3 presentations, where they're often given a spotlight to shine. Kotaku Australia recently spoke with ID at Xbox director Chris Charla about the program and the importance of indie games development. One of the questions raised addresses concerns over the tangible benefits for developers joining the program in regards to finances and support from Xbox. Charler reveals that Microsoft has paid more than $1.2 billion to independent developers this generation for games that have come through the ID program. That number is sure to be significantly higher during the next generation of consoles, which will include Microsoft Project Scarlet, as indie games become bigger and more ambitious than ever. We've also seen some independent studios who are now approaching 30-person level and doing bigger games, Charlie explains. They're exploring more multiplayer games in areas that traditional games have done. Or tri- in areas that traditional games... That's a weird quote, Charla. Uh, that, that's what's so exciting about the independent game scene. It's not just, oh, now everyone's making Goose Game. There's a lot of things simultaneously, and it's really, really exciting. With the ID at Xbox program, Microsoft is prepared for the future of indie games in a way it wasn't when the Xbox One first launched. When we first started, it was two or three people in a three-meter-by-three-meter space, Charla reminisces. We were packed into that and just getting things going. We knew exactly where we wanted to go and what we wanted to get to, and which was to have devs have it as easy as possible to have their games shipped on Xbox One. We have had an enormous amount of work to do at the beginning. In the ensuing five, six years, I think we've done that. All right, so this got me thinking about how things have changed for indie developers from the beginning of the generation to now. I would say, feel free to disagree, the narrative in 2013 was Sony really cares about indies. Because they did. They're all in on this. This is going to drive them. You don't need to worry about droughts or anything like that because there will be indie, big indie games every couple of days Mm -hmm. to fill in the gap. Think about any packs you went to around that time of mm-hmm. how much focus was put on their big shit compared to their small shit. They would have events just for the PlayStation Hearts Indies and all that stuff. Like yeah. that was what their entire focus was was the smaller weird games. As we close this generation out, do you think that dynamic is still true? Not at all. You can see it. Mm-hmm. The proof is in the pudding. And the pudding tastes really good on the Microsoft <laughs> side right now. And it's not looking too good on the the PlayStation side. I still might eat some. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Every once in a while, just dabble, get my fingers wet in there, right? Then you have the switch in the middle, uh, which has been the most interesting, I think, in terms of they're not necessarily funding the games uh, in the craziest ways. Every every here and there they do. But I think that their commitment to Nindies and um, the showcases and all of that yeah. has been fantastic. And just this simple uh, 
having the Switch be as popular as it is and as great a home for these type of games mm -hmm. as, as it has turned out to be, I feel has been great for indie developers because the games just sell astronomically yeah. on the Switch, especially in the earlier days when there wasn't as much uh, first-party titles coming out, right? We're now at a point where that's less and less true because there are a lot of games on the Switch. There's not this drought, so people are like, I'll, I'll buy anything, yeah. you know? If but you achieve still... meme status, you do pretty well there. Exactly. But, yeah. um, but it's like there are titles that I feel have risen above all of this where if Golf Story 2 was announced, people would be stoked, mm -hmm. right? I think that that's the change that we've seen over the last generation is people are excited for sequels to indie games or, or for new projects from the creators uh, of indie games and it, microsoft with game pass in its in its mind and in its wallet you know kind of fueling the money there to be able to fuel the money here they've been working quietly while also being pretty loud about it but like just behind the scenes um and things like cuphead are perfect examples of them putting their money where their mouth is uh giving that game as much time as it needed to be ready and then putting it out and having to be freaking killer that it's now one of the ten pole games, I would say, of right. the Xbox. When you library. think of the generation of like the best indie games of the generation, like a lot of them come from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Like that they bankrolled or tried to get out there or made a big deal about it. Like from the press side, in terms of who tells you most most about indie games, it's usually Microsoft, Nintendo, then way down here is Sony. Like I can't think of the last mm. time Sony had an event for just indie games. Yeah. Meanwhile, like not too long ago, Microsoft was like, hey, do you want to come check out After Party? We're having a big thing at our loft just for After Party for you to come and play the game. And again, that's the power of Game Pass. That's the power of these streaming platforms changing revenue streams, changing right. how games are funded, how games make money. Uh, it's, it's interesting, and I think there's a bubble that will pop um, billions or lots of dollars, mm -hmm. and you can't keep doing that if you're not seeing the return. So I think that right now it's easy to be like, oh, they're seeing the return. We'll see in a couple years. Right. You know, we'll see when this stops. Um, because at what point do these indie developers stop being indie developers? We've talked about that for years now. Of what's an indie game? Yeah. If it's being funded by Microsoft, right? Right. And and at some point, it doesn't matter. We're <laughs> just using fucking words to describe things. But at some point, it's like. These billions of dollars are no longer going to be going towards a hundred different developers. It's going to be going towards two mm -hmm. because that's the cost of these games. Right. That's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. But I mean, like, it is a question of how long will this be viable for Microsoft to do? And you m mentioned, like, we'll see when those dollars dry up. I don't think it's going to, because there will always be new indie developers coming in, like, hey, I had this idea for a game. It's weird, like, do you want to get behind me and we'll see what we can get do or get done? And from what I've always heard, Microsoft is always like, hell yeah, let's check it out. Mm -hmm. And so he's always been like, well, maybe because they're, they're not the same company that got by, like that did the indie reels on press shows anymore. Yeah. But, but that's the thing though. When will Xbox stop being that person that those guys again? Yeah. I don't think we would have thought PlayStation would have done that a so, couple years ago. I mean, like, here's the problem, though, because I've talked to any developers, and they're like, Microsoft is very caring, and they're, like, they're happy to shepherd us through, and they give us money in exchange for these things. But like, no one I've talked to has ever been like, are indie games sold best on Xbox One? Mm -hmm. It's usually Switch, PC, PS4, Xbox One. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think they're necessarily getting a monetary benefit from it quite yet. I think that they actually might be in it for the long haul, or just for the portfolio, like, 
we're hoping one of these games does amazingly and they're tied to Xbox One because of it. Because Cuphead did that for us. Ori is a thing we can rely on in the future of... Because they've been showing the next game at E3 conferences for the last two years. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out for them because people write about Ori as an Xbox One title, even though it's also coming to PC and also probably one day coming to Switch. Mm-hmm. So I think this... It doesn't necessarily work out for them from a red and dar- or red and black line sheet kind of thing, but I do think it works out for them for being known as the company that is trying to help out these indie developers. Yeah, for I'm it, just saying yeah. like that changes though because PlayStation was that mm-hmm. four years ago, you know. And then they didn't. And then, but then, but then PlayStation to not just totally like take it away from Sony. Like PSVR, they do a great job uh, funding smaller indie projects and you know giving those developers room to, to do something, but it's when it fits their their mm-hmm. goals. But that's the same thing on the Xbox side. I, I hope that it doesn't change, and I, I believe that uh, Phil Spencer's trying to destroy Next Generation. Yeah. But, like, you need to commit to that village and, uh, vision and not have the, the hubris to eventually crumble like we've seen with PlayStation. Like, that's just what's happened the last four years, where compare a PlayStation press conference four years ago to today, mm-hmm. and there are two things that are definitively lacking. Indie games and personality. And also uh, press conferences. What's up? Also press conferences press at this conferences point. As well. that's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> but the future, Tim, mm-hmm. of Next Generation. The future is of, so far away. Is so far away. If I wanted to know what is coming to mom and grop shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform is listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show host each and every weekday. Yeah. Out today, Pixel Gladiator by Xbox or on Xbox One and Switch. Into the Dead 2 is out today on Switch. Somehow, amazingly, Call of Duty Modern Warfare is out today, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Apparently, review copies for that went out sort of late, so I saw a bunch of stuff today saying, like, we don't have a review yet. It's weird, isn't it? Why? Because the reviews are positive. Maybe it's a server thing, like they didn't want to turn on servers in time, or... It's Activision, man. I don't know. Like, it's such a... This seems weird to me because it's not one of those situations, seemingly, of like, oh, it's not that good, so we want to give it out late, because, like, everybody that's playing... Andrew Reiner? Reiner? Reiner. 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 Loving it. Yeah. Who knows? Like... It just seems like maybe they just want to capitalize on all that. Like, I you, publishers do this sometimes. Of they want people to be able to, to have to, immediately play it, be high off the adrenaline, and write the review. Yeah, and like that tends to work out for them. I don't know specifically that's the reason for this one, hmm. but I've seen that ha- I've seen that rationale happen before. The Outer Worlds is up today on PS4 and Xbox One and PC. We talked about that a bit on the Gamescast yesterday. You can hear us talk about it with Cat Bailey and also a pre-recorded segment with Greg. Uh, Medieval is up today on PS4. I've heard basically nobody talk about that. I wonder why. It's a budget game and not seemingly a thing a lot of people were looking for. Soul Searching is out today on <laughs> Switch. Pizza Bar Tycoon is out today on Switch. Ultra Off-Road 2019 is out today on... Uh, Ultra Road... Off or Ultra Off Road 2019 colon Alaska is out today on Switch. I was about to say is out today on Alaska, and that's why I had to fix that. <laughs> Let's Sing Country is out today on Switch. Why not? It will find you. Jesus is out today on PC. That's an intimidating ass title. Yeah. Space Road is out today on PC. Survival Vacancy is out today on PC and Mac. Coloring Game Pixel is out today on PC. New dates: Monster Hunter World Iceborne comes to PC on January 9th. Call of War as Gunslinger, which is a pretty good Xbox Live and like whatever digital game 
on the 360 PS3 generation. It's coming to Switch on December 10th. AI The Somnium Files, which is a VN made by Uchikoshi, the guy who made the 999 and Virtual Virtual Last Reward games, has a demo today on Switch and PS4. And the Panzer Dragoon remake is coming to Steam this winter. Talking about all this stuff. <laughs> uh, recently, Capcom doesn't have a big January game this year. They don't. It's weird. I think from what was explained to me was that Resident Evil got delayed from it was supposed to be the year before's big game. So that pushed everything into a weird thing where Resident Evil and Devil May Cry came out like three months next to each other. Got it. But Monster Hunter was the big game the year before. Or maybe it was supposed to be like... The, so the, the way they used to have it is one big game in January and then a smaller game in uh, like late summer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure when like Resident Evil was supposed to hit. But they, the game was supposed to hit earlier. Got it. And okay. then that led to the weird thing of the it and DMC being so close. Being so close. And yeah, then that makes sense. Iceborne being their like kind of late summer game this year, and then next year, kind of nothing. Yeah. I assume Resident Evil Six or Resident Evil Three is coming. Do you think we see that before we see Resident Evil Eight? Yes. Really? I think Resident Evil Three is our priority right now. Holy shit! Because that excites me. The reason that was explained to me was that Resident Evil Three and Resident Evil 2 are so connected in people's minds that they want to get those two out without having a generational transition where they have to, like, redo a lot of stuff for it. Hmm. Okay. Cool but stuff. I, I don't... You're right. They don't have anything for January, so we'll see if they got a new big game sometime soon. Deals of the day. Free games are up on the Epic Game Store. Q-U-B-E-2. Cube. And Layers of Fear if you're looking for some Halloween fun. We do have some reader mail in a second, Tim. But first, I want to hear a little bit about who's bringing us Kind of Funny Games Daily today. Today, it's brought to you by Third Love. Uh, Nearly all of the Kind of Honeys are wearing Third Love bras, and you should too. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Uh, Third Love offers more than 80 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. Skip the trip and find your fit with Third Love's online fit finder. Order and try on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. Joey's been using these. Gia's been using these. Jen's been using these. Wow. All these people that you know and love. They use these bras. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Fit stylists are available every day to help via text, chat, or phone. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. Uh, these are hands down the most comfortable bra you'll own. Straps that won't slip, and they are tagless labels. Uh, that's why Cool Greg doesn't really like them too much. Uh, no itching. That was a joke from Reddit. I stole it from somebody. Uh, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order go to thirdlove.com slash games now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase that's thirdlove.com slash games for 15% off today also shout out to upstart Uh, as most of us have found out the hard way getting into debt is easy getting out is hard especially if your credit score isn't great thankfully now there's upstart.com the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high interest credit card debt upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness they actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter interest rate this could have helped greg miller back in college when he was making his transition over to san francisco uh he had a lot of issues going on and upstart would have helped his credit a lot uh, you probably heard it before but um i believe in this stuff and it believes in you as a person upstart 
makes it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in just a few minutes. And the best part is once the loan's approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart's ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash kfgames to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes and won't affect your credit. That's U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash kf games so obviously after yesterday's like delay bonanza mm-hmm. people had delays on the mind so i wanted to pick two questions that kind of give us both perspectives of how delays work from the, both the publisher and the consumer ideas chad Bedrich says tgif timron do you think delay apocalypse or whatever they're calling it now <laughs> is a sign of changing attitudes towards crunch time in the industry or do you think first quarter 2020 was just too crammed or is it neither Thanks. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I honestly think it's both. I think that starting at the end, I think that everyone was looking at first quarter and were like, oh, shit, like we got to get out of there. The problem there, though, is now everyone's moving to second quarter. It's not yeah. like it's that. It's not solving that problem. Yeah. The crunch thing I do think is real. I think that this is a perfect example of change happening slowly over time. And these conversations um, have always been happening behind the scenes. But I feel are now happening in front of the scenes, like on stage, very loudly. Yeah. And I feel that it's hard to uh, avoid them. And I think that a lot of it comes down to shady tactics are now, you know, broadcast Mm -hmm. to the world and they become PR nightmares. And the last thing any of these big developers or publishers want right now are PR nightmares. So... I think yeah. that they're definitely listening. I mean, Fran and I were talking yesterday, and we're saying that, like, even if The Last of Us delay is solely so Naughty Dog doesn't have to work over Christmas, like, that's worth it for those, like, whatever, if they don't have to spend time crunching in the longest month of the year. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder, like, so famously, during E3 this year, Nintendo was like, we're delaying Animal Crossing till next year because we don't want our developers to crunch through it. And I heard about delay a little bit before that. And it was the reason given to me was they really want this to be like a Breath of the Wild moment for Animal Crossing and all that jazz. But there was a part of my mind that was a little suspicious of do you think publishers are going to start weaponizing this excuse or not excuse, sorry, this reasoning of, hey, we don't want people to crunch. Don't get mad at us for a delay. 100%. Do you expect that to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's good that it's going to happen. Like, right. that's any good decision ever made, that good meaning, like, ethically good. Well intentioned, yeah. Is, is behind it. There's some other side right. pushing. That's just life, though. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily the worst thing mm-hmm. because it gives them more time. It gives people more time. Right. The problem is if there's unrealistic, if that pushes up the whole, the whole system. And I don't think it's going to do that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I kind of suspect, like, if it's a different thing, because if, uh, let's say, I'm not going to name a developer here because I don't want to go like that down down that road, but if a developer that is commonly known for scummy tactics was to say, hey, we don't want to crunch, so we're going to release our game later, I would have a different view of it than if Nintendo did that. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it is an easy way to just avoid all like criticism about a delay. Like, hey, why is this taking so long or anything like that? And it's it's interesting how when Apex and Fortnite did the same thing earlier this year, people were mad at Fortnite about it, but they weren't mad at Respawn. And I kind of wonder if that's because of the reputation that the two developers have. Mm-hmm. That 
if they're saying we don't want to crunch or this will take this will be a difficult thing to do, will people start accept like will people start being suspicious of that themselves and start going like, hey, you're lying for saying that? I mean, look, I, I feel at the end of the day that the people that are going to actually get mad at delays mm-hmm. are they're not going to change their mind about however you want to phrase it. They don't care about crunch. Right. They don't care about the people behind the stuff. They care about getting their stuff on getting time. Getting their stuff on time. Or not even on time. Just getting stuff and bitching about stuff. Like I, I feel like that's true for the majority of, of those people. Right. Um and that's not gonna change. You can't change that. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I'll never forget when Super Smash Brothers Brawl was delayed and it broke my heart. I was so fucking excited for the game and it getting delayed from whatever it was, November to March. I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? I legitimately don't think I was more hyped for a game than that one. Like, I I broke speeding laws coming back from GameStop. It was the perfect hype cycle. Like, they did it so, so well. And that, it was the the Japan time where every night there'd be an update on the blog of, like, something new. And it might just be like, here's how you play the game. Don't fall off the screen. And the next night it would be like, fucking Pokemon Trainer is a new (laughs) character. You can switch to Charizard or Squirtle. You're like, what the fuck? But then one night it was just like, oh, sorry, it's delayed. Yeah. It was like... What? No, that's not what you should use this for. And I remember being angry, but it was also one of those things where I wasn't angry at them for for like, fuck you for doing this to me. It's just like, oh, man, I really want to play this game. Yeah. I've never understood being mad about delays, uh, looking at the, the developers or publishers and being like, fuck you guys. You're lying to me. I pre-ordered this under the pretense that I was getting it on this date and you were lying to me. In that same vein, Nanobiologist asked, have we finally seen a shift in gamer mentality when it comes to delays? Before, we saw news of anger and death threats at delays, but now we have a pretty universal response. Good, and take your time. We'll wait. This has been very apparent after Ubisoft delayed three games and Sony delayed The Last of Us 2. What has caused this shift in mentality? Has corporate approach... Has corporate approaches to humanizing employees and game companies worked? Or is it the constant talk of crunch and almost inhumane work conditions some developers work with to give us fun games? Is there another reason I'm not thinking of? Thanks. I hope you both have a great weekend. He also tossed in that he'll be on streaming for the first time Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash the nanobiologist. There you go. I honestly think that it's a really simple answer. Mm -hmm. It is not that things have changed. From the negative side of stuff, I feel like the death threats and all that are still out there in equal force. I think that the people talking about video games positively and the people that are putting this voice out there are just finally using that voice. Mm -hmm. We always talk about the vocal minority with stuff, and I feel like when it comes to gamers and like game culture, um, the the game culture on the internet has always kind of been dominantly the negative voice and the anger and right. the like shit talk right but i feel like there's now discourse happening uh n- not equally on the other side but in a much more community-based way mm-hmm. and things like reddit and facebook groups and you know the forums how they've changed over the years in addition to twitter and other social media has allowed different voices to rise up and kind of be able to combat the hate and mm-hmm. anger. And you're also allowed to kind of build your own little echo chamber of seeing just the good stuff. <laughs> right. And gamer culture, okay, so this is a, a very large conversation, but that was shaped a lot around the fact that games were at one point inherently 
aggressive and competitive. So to be a larger fan, you needed to show that you were a more aggressive and competitive fan and you were more emotionally resonant with certain things. So a game being bad or delayed or whatever needed to piss you off more than it needs to piss off the next guy. Yeah. So people did used to get a lot madder about delays because you wanted to show part of the way culture has kind of shaped this like gatekeeping within the community that you are more emotionally invested in this thing. And because you're the biggest Last of Us fan in the world, that the Last of Us 2 delay personally harms you. So I think we're moving away from that kind of thing now based on like the community like the kind of funny best friends and like just general gaming communities in general and like uh, Game Informer used to just have developers on to talk in interviews and stuff like that, that we're humanizing them more and people are realizing, oh, it's not just game doesn't come out on X date. It's developers are working hard to get game to come out on a more reasonable date. Mm -hmm. So I think, like you said, the community is in the changing culture around that is key to all of this. Yeah, totally. Now, having said all this, I do think that uh, we need to not put out release dates <laughs> unless you know you're going to hit it. Yeah. But that's another conversation. I mean, I also like, we, we did talk about it yesterday, but I don't just, how should I put this? I don't necessarily think that what they said about The Last of Us delay is the entire story. Mm -hmm. I think just polish is a weird thing to discover days after you, or not days, but weeks after you put up the release date for a three-month delay. Yeah. I feel like it must be something else. Like it, Obviously, the crunch thing is part of it. Obviously, you know, it is, polish is a part of that equation as well. I suspect there's something broken in that game. And mm. that's fine. Games are broken up until they come out and like they're not broken. They're Hopefully. Bro up until like the week before release, yeah. honestly. So I don't, I think it would also be fine if game developers were upfront about why a game is delayed too. Like they shouldn't just, they should trust us a little bit to know, or maybe they should, maybe we're all idiots. They, maybe they're right to do what they're doing. Yeah. Time to squad us. Speaking of the community, you can play with the kind of funny best friends on your online video games Anthony Raguchi on PS4 goes by the PSN tag Red Wolf Crusader all one word looking for a best friend to team up with me and play Man of Madon in co-op and get the co-op only trophies and collectibles we should be able to do it in one playthrough but we shall see I am around all day on Sunday Eastern then after work during the week mo most nights send me a message we can figure it out thanks now we're going to You're Wrong, where you guys can tell us all the things that we got wrong during this show. Uh, Not much. It's just just the top one there. Um, let's see. The, um, Reb. Reb writes in. It says, Dan Stapleton was saying there was some review event for Modern Warfare on location. IGN opted to send someone to get guide content stuff, but is holding on the actual review until they can get a copy. Not sure what other sites are up to. Yeah. I'm. What do you think about review events as someone who's been to a few i assume uh, yes i hate them yeah okay. I, I hate everything about it i hate the pressure i hate the being around everyone else playing the game at once i like playing my games how i want to play them without someone looking over me and like pushing me to do things it's just it's the worst yeah also i worry it colors the coverage for me a little bit of like because when you're done there you talk to all these people and obviously the thing you're going to talk about is the thing you just played mm -hmm. so i for me personally when i review a game i don't want to talk to anyone about it or read anyone's reviews or necessarily really talk impressions unless we've like really done it or uh, like really finished the game by that point and mm -hmm. we've finished a review or whatever 
until then. When it's like fresh and it's still forming thoughts in your head, it feels to me like it changes the game a little bit. Yeah. And I, I've always hated review events in general. Like maybe this is the way they wanted to do it. Totally. They, they do it because it. it's, it's better for the reviews at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really respect the, everyone holding back. Of just being like, we're not going to talk about this right now. Yeah. But on the other hand, whoever doesn't, like if they feel like they can write that review, good for them. I That's not my style, personally. No. All right. This has been Kind of Funny Games Daily. Let me tell you who's hosting next week. On Monday, we got me and you again, Tim. Woo! On Tuesday, Greg will finally be back from the frozen wilds of Quebec. <laughs> Hopefully freshly shaven and with a haircut, because goddamn that picture. Uh, he will be hosting with me on Tuesday. You got him good. On, on Wednesday, it'll be Greg and Gary Witta, who is back from the frozen wild of somewhere. I don't know where Gary Witta went. Of Austin, Texas. Uh, is that where he went? Yeah. On Thursday, it'll be me and Greg again. On Friday, it'll be you and Greg, Tim. Yes, it will. And also Gamescast next week. Very exciting stuff. Uh, it will not be live uh, on Thursday. It'll, it'll be uh, public for everybody, patron and non-patron, on Friday at midnight, because it is our Death Stranding review Mm -hmm. uh, that we're doing. I've been playing it. You've been playing it. uh, Andy's been playing it. Greg's been playing it. Fran's been playing it. uh, So it's going to be all... uh, Kevin's been playing it, too. Sorry, I keep forgetting. But you're going to get all of our impressions uh, in there. Some of us are a lot farther than others. We'll see where it all shakes out. But, yeah, it's going to be a good time. I'm excited to talk about that game. Me too. Very much so. I'm excited to hear what everyone else thinks too. Yeah. Because so. like, even casual discussions in the office have been very different. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. All right. Till then, though. Till then. This has been Kind of Funny Games Daily for Friday, October 25th. 25th. I remember the day, but not the date. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you all next week.